Hello and welcome to Speak Up at Work's first podcast. My name is Anima Kosai and I have with me Janita Sukumaran, who is an old friend, but also someone very accomplished in the PR world. She, together with two other women, uh, founded Rantau PR back in 1992, and it is now known as Rantau Golin, together with the international PR outfit Golin. And uh, Janita has been specializing uh, in advising C-suite council, strategic communications and issues management and um, she's also become a lifetime member of the PR Consultants Association of Malaysia. So Janita is uh, joining me from Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia. And um, also, uh, Janita, you do quite a bit on crisis communications as well, right? Would you like to explain what, th- what, what that is? Um, thanks, Anima. Thank you for inviting me on to speak up. Um, it's exciting to be one of your first um, guests on these on this particular show um, crisis communications now um, that is actually one of the key areas where public relations functions and um, it is something that almost every organization whether public or private would engage in um, in the event that something goes wrong whether it is basically a product failure whether it is a fertility or in this case, a pandemic. So it's pretty much how you communicate with your various organizations under specific pressures. So I hope that explains it in a nutshell. And we're really, we're really having pressures right now. I mean, this is definitely a crisis. We're in a, a pandemic, pretty much global. Um, and it's something that the world generally hasn't faced for, what, over 100 years. Um, do, do you think that's accurate? Well, not particularly. Now, I think what we need to recognize is that a pandemic is not a new form of crisis. And unless your company um, was formed only within the last five years, the chances are very high that you would probably have uh, lived through as a business um, SARS, H1N1 or Merck's or even all of them. But um, what, as you said, I mean, what we are seeing is that none of those particular crises were as devastating as what we're seeing with um, COVID-19 because it is crippling on a a more global level. And instead of um, isolated impact, it's a collective impact of health, economy and social. And it's something where um, in the past, a HQ office could actually rescue a local office. But right now, Mm. every single office in that particular ecosystem is probably damaged that, and that that and, and that's that's in the modern world that's never happened before right i mean it's really exactly. frightening exactly. i mean it's frightening for us on a personal level it's and it's frightening for for people who are leaders who are leading teams who are leading companies who are leading countries even right um that i'm sure they really don't know what to do. But then there's this part of them that has to put up this sort of I can handle this kind of image. I mean, really, how should leaders and employers be communicating with their people when it comes to what we're seeing now? Well, what I think we need to remember is no communication leaves room for speculation. So that is very important. In, an, in a crisis, one of the best things you can actually do is to over-communicate 
specifically over communicate with your employees because remember for your employees you are their key concern unlike partners and customers who have other organizations and conversations that they are listening to and engaging with to employees what you are doing is is their main concern because you are the source of their livelihood yeah. so exactly so you know when it comes to basically communicating with employees over communicate is a better way to go and engaging them um making sure that they know what is happening with the company trying to be as transparent as possible without causing fear so that's that is the very thing important. i mean i mean i can imagine a lot of employees today are very worried i mean one is their personal health and their loved ones but also will i have a job will i be fired and if the organization doesn't know well no one really knows how long it's going to last right what would you communi- how, how can you can't guarantee that people are going to have a job so but at the same time understanding people are scared what what would you say to them as a leader i would i would tell them that basically as a company i'm doing everything i can to keep the company afloat i would tell them what i'm doing i will tell them about you know um now almost every single government is providing some kind of stimulus package i would explain to my employees what are the steps that i've been, i've taken yeah. in order to protect the company i would actually give them reasons to fight with me as right. opposed to fight against me because i think employees at this point need to know where is their place within the entire organization structure and what is their worth to the company now if your employee really is just uh, a low hanging fruit that you can get rid of which is mm-hmm. going to be very surprising if that is you know uh, what you you look at your your employees is mm-hmm. if your employees are important you need to explain to them why they're important how are they important you need to explain to them how you're going to to remodel the organization so they can continue to add value and all this comes with communication and engagement yeah. if there is no open communication engagement they don't know their place then comes speculation and rumors yeah and that's i oh, i'm going to ask you a question about that a little later when we talk about mm-hmm. public um communication um sure. uh, uh yeah that's very heartening i think i think people who work for you janita are very fortunate in that um you are being uh, transparent in that sense and i mean you're modeling what what leadership should be as well i want to ask about um well people who are facing the public perhaps daily maybe they're working in hospitals maybe they're working in law enforcement or they could be driving buses or they could be delivering your food um they're working in shops so um we've heard all around the world that uh people working in in these types of jobs are very worried because they're not they say they don't get the right kind of PPE the personal protective equipment um they're worried and we hear of people contracting um covid as well possibly from being exposed to public in this way so what if if employ if if there was a lead of an organization who has public facing employers employees what should they be doing because that that's even a step up they're very very frightened employees there 
I don't think any organization can actually guarantee the safety of an employee because you really don't know who your employees are coming in contact with and whether that connection or um, that contact to COVID-19 is coming from within the organization, within the workplace or from outside because you have people moving around. If you are an essential worker, if you are within that, that um, category, mm. You are moving around. You are coming into contact with many people. What I think for as an employer, you need to do is to communicate once again very clearly what you're doing to make them feel safe. Um, I mean, that that two things we need to think about. Um, first of all, does your employee need to be out there? Yes. Or is this basically something that you're doing to keep your business alive? Now, if you're putting profit ahead of safety and health, you are definitely going to come under fire. You're opening yourself and your, your company's reputation to being branded negatively. And, you know, once you get branded negatively out there in public, trying to fix it later is going to be tough. So, you know, you've got to think about, is it safe to return to work? Do your employees feel safe about being at work? Now, the first one, is it safe to return to work? That you're being guided by government. Yep. The yeah. second, do your employees feel safe about being at work? That is something you can control, and that is called engagement and transparency. What you're doing to create a safer workplace, you know, allowing them to give actual feedback and taking that feedback positively and working with your employee to make sure that they feel secure. Are you able to give them sufficient number of PPEs? The chances are no, but yes. what are you doing to um, supplement that particular fear? What else are you doing to keep them healthy? Are you are yeah. you basically you know making sure that they have um, immediate access to to medical benefits, medical health? Is there a doctor on stand on call? Should anyone fall sick? Little things like this. If they know that they can actually turn to someone who's going to take care of them, they will probably feel more comfortable about coming to work. So, so that's the thing, right? The the you you mentioned the feedback and and for yeah. employers to be listening to that feedback in a positive way, right? Yes. And you only need to go onto Twitter or just read the news to know that that's not really happening, right? We are beginning to hear of people who tried giving that kind of feedback to their employers, and and weren't being listened to, right? So, I mean, I'm going to give an example of um, this um, doctor in Washington State. Um, and this was just a few days before Speak Up itself had a webinar on healthcare, um, and we called it Voices from the Frontline. And we had two nurses from the US who actually joined the call and told us of how they were, not, they were denied PPE. One of them actually had her mask, her N95 mask ripped from her face because she was told by this manager, you're scaring the patients. It was really horrific to listen to. But more than that, what they said was that they, were, they, they knew of people who were forced to come to work. Um, to the front line without adequate PPE. And this particular doctor in Washington State, um, he'd been publishing, pub posting Facebook posts, and, and one of the things he said was, um, this is Dr. Ming Lin, and one of the things he said was, there was no way for us to prevent us from becoming the vector for our family and community. So spreading whatever they could have caught at the hospital to their families and other people. So these are such real and actual fears. But when the employer is not listening and they turn to social media, this particular doctor was fired. Um, so, 
we can see that's a result of um, employers not listening, not receiving the feedback that employees are sharing, who then they feel compelled to go on social media and that becomes somewhat of a PR nightmare. And what I see happening is that these organizations go, oh no, um, instead of addressing the problem, they're trying to gag people from speaking up publicly about uh, what is very real concern. You want to give your feedback on that? Yeah, sure. Um, I think basically it is very common for a lot of organizations to have structures in place in terms of um, who should speak and who can't speak in a crisis. Mm-hmm. To And pretty much that that's the whole purpose of that is to funnel the communications, to make sure that um, you know, the company's information is not basically being mismanaged and um, you know, to make sure that the right messaging goes out. But with today's um, access to social media, you cannot completely gag people. But you know, the, once again, that's where I guess open communications comes into play. And what you'll probably find is la- really large organizations or incredibly small organizations probably have a better system in place in terms of engaging with their people it is the middle organizations, the mid-sized organizations that probably don't have the toolkits or the resources to deal with the people because they're too busy trying to deal with issues. Yes. And exactly, exactly. Um, so once again, I think if a company has uh, engaging communications, so we're talking about not a, a one-way communications, right? It's It has to be engaging, has to be interactive. People need to know that there are places or people they can go to for fears or to basically express their, their concerns. Um, in the absence of that, it will definitely be taken elsewhere and social media is the best place mm-hmm. to actually voice issues. Um, so, so you have to look back at it. It is generally disgruntled, scared, confused employees who take to social media against companies. And this comes from the length of engagement. Yeah, so essentially what what you're saying is that every organization, no matter how small or big, should have some people who are there and everyone should know this, right? All the employees. This is, if, if you have any fears, any questions, this is the person you go to. And maybe if it's, you know, an organization with several different locations, you'd have a person per location because it has to be someone they know, right? Um, And I suppose it would have to be clear too that we're not going to retaliate uh, against anyone who raises an issue of concern because we want to hear what you have to say, right? Um, That's important to us and for the welfare of everyone, right? Something along those lines? Pretty much, pretty much. I think basically, um, you know, in a, in the case of um, a pandemic like this, what needs to happen now? Now you've got to remember that people are not going to trust you if you mm-hmm. haven't basically had a transparent and open relationship all this while. Um, it's going to be very difficult for them to suddenly say like, "Oh, now my employer is talking to me, but I really don't know them too well." So I yeah. think what would be a better way is to actually, you know. Um, have an open policy, but perhaps give them some practical reasons to come to you. And and these little practical reasons could be something simple as you know, an assurance that the company is ready to support you with medical benefits. And you tell them what those medical benefits are or where, what those protections are that, um, you know, 
in the event that you need an ambulance, for example, the company will arrange for that ambulance for you because we have a connection or an arrangement with an organization like the Red Cross, for example. So that makes you the first contact, uh, point of contact ah. for any report of illness. You can tell them that as a company, we're going to help you make insurance claims or claims against your, your you know, um, uh, government benefits should they be unable to work you could inform them of um you know other care care packages that will be sent to you if you can't come into work um and you know talking about basically um someone that they can go to i absolutely believe that you should in a crisis there should be a team of people whom you can turn to but i would actually say that those people should not be someone whom you are directly in connection with. So it shouldn't be a direct supervisor. It should be someone whom you know, but who don't come into direct contact or regular contact with. Right, right. So people are not fearing exactly. that they might... Exactly, some would be. Absolutely. In fact, I mean, just to share with you, because I'm, I'm here in London, mm -hmm. in the United Kingdom, and, um, in the, and I'm going to talk about the NHS, which is the British uh, National Health Service. Um, and one of the problems that they've, they've noticed is that we have had uh, an alarming number of deaths on the front line. So these are people who are doctors, who are nurses and medical staff who have been working in hospitals throughout the UK, who have, who have fallen ill and died, very sadly, mm -hmm. as a result of the virus. And one of the things that was so incredibly striking is that they are mainly black and minority ethnic people. Um, and, and that was sort of like, so now they're going to do an inquiry into this. Um, and one of the reasons it ties back to a report made, um, this by, they call it the Francis Report, made several years ago, where they discovered that people from black and minority ethnic groups were more, well, they would face discrimination um, in, in the National Health Service and therefore were less likely to speak up if they saw a problem. So there, there's possibly a correlation. We don't know this until there's a proper investigation done, but some people have remarked um, that there could be a correlation between uh, the fact that um, they're less likely to speak up if there's a problem, for example, they're not given the right PPE and they go ahead and they still treat uh, people who are COVID-19 positive. Um, so, you know, uh, coming back to this issue of the ability to raise a concern with someone um, is absolutely crucial. And if that's not there and there's a distrust, just as you said, people will keep quiet and they're putting their own lives and other people, you know, their families' lives at risk. Um, so I, I would say that th this is absolutely vital and it goes back to the culture of the workplace should be one where people feel safe, right? Um, from the very beginning. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But, you know, I think that the, the thing about this particular pandemic mm. is it, it's giving a lot of companies a blank sheet to rewrite some policies. Okay. So in the past, if certain policies were not in existence and you really didn't see any reason to edit them, right now, mm -hmm. this particular, you know, the, the very, very fact that COVID-19 is bringing on new issues, um, highlighting issues that were probably right under our noses that we didn't take note of, we have the ability to rewrite policies 
to make people realize that there are opportunities to speak up, mm-hmm. to be heard, and to be taken into the entire um, system of um, what do you call it, uh, both communications as well as uh, reorganization, restructuring, re-engineering the work process, the listening process. And I'll add to and that, com- yeah, r- risk, identifying risks and getting the ri- everyone involved at all levels, right? Um, I, I, and I was going to ask you, who would be taking the lead on this, rewriting the policies, and who should be involved? I think it pretty much is um, all heads of yeah. an organization. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of people very often will like, you know, so this is something that just the leader of the organization should be involved in. Um, the leader of organization should be the person who fronts the organization and, and makes all these policies. Um, I don't think so. Um, this is the time where HR, PR, should have a place in the boardroom and have a place at the management table. Yeah. How you communicate and um, the decisions you make, it's a collective de- decision. And how you communicate should not be an afterthought. It should be part of the entire process of how you communicate internally, externally. That needs to be decided at the board, at the management table. So crisis, so people heading or leading the crisis communications should definitely be up there at the strategic level. Um, and be part of the team, right? Because often I see it separated. um, And the message is is garbled as a result of that. Um, Exactly, exactly. And I think the other thing to also consider is not all leaders are the best spokespersons in a crisis. You need someone, yes, you need someone who inspires confidence and calm. And you need to find that particular. So a lot of leaders tend to be quite brash, arrogant. And this is the point where you need to lead by unity and not bureaucracy. Could I add one more point there as well? Uh, I think empathy. Empathy would be very important. And when we we see... we, I mean, in the whole world, we can see the leaders that really come up um, in terms of displaying that empathy and others who sound like they're reading a script of numbers. Um, and to me, the, there's an issue of authenticity there that you really care. You can't, you can't be seen to care. You can't put on a PR show and just read a script. You need to really care. And I think that's... That's what we see when we see, you know, the, compared to J- Jacinda Ardern, right? Um, yes. For, uh, compared to several other world leaders, we feel her caringness. And I think we see the new heroes who are themselves not politicians. So like, you know, in Malaysia, you have uh, Dr. Nohisham, who is just incredible. Um, in the U.S., you have Dr. Fauci. Um there are these new heroes that have come up because you can see their passion and their commitment. And these, these people are not sleeping because exactly. they're so aware of what's going on. And, and to me, those are the people that should be really sort of leading and driving this. Um, exactly. And that, that makes a huge difference. Um, and even leaders yeah. of organizations, right? Absolutely. So, I mean, it's like, uh, so the common thread among all of them, it's, as you said, empathy, it's calm, it's confidence, and that makes you feel safe. Yes. Yes. Uh, Yes, absolutely. And um, I wanted to come back to um, 
you know, organizations, well, well we, we can see what's going on in politics, but, you know, in terms of um, organizations. Um, and a few weeks ago, uh, we saw, so Amazon, for example, um, uh, was really, really having issues. So one of their uh, warehouse men, um, Chris Smalls in New York, uh, was trying to speak up to management and say, look, there's some people who probably are uh, COVID-19 positive because they have the symptoms, but you're not testing, they're still coming to work. Um, and so he was raising these concerns. Um, and then he himself fell sick, but he felt that the uh, management weren't listening to him and people were still coming in. Um, and so he protested. He was trying to organize a protest um, um, in the New York facility. And then he was fired on the basis of, well, you've just violated social distancing rules because, um, you know, protest is violating social distancing. And, and this goes back to the issue of he wasn't being heard. He tried organizing, organizing, fired. You can imagine the outcry on Amazon after that. Um, you know, um, so I'm speaking as a consumer, somebody who may want to order through Amazon. I want to make sure that when I click that button that I'm ordering something, no one is going to die or be hurt as a result of my order, right? Um, you you want to say something about that? And it's interesting what Amazon has done since the outcry. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, the entire issue of, um, you know, um, firing someone, that really should be a last cause action. And when, when you fire somebody, very often when you, when you act on such impulsive ways, it is out of fear. It is fear that the, there's going to be retaliation if you don't get that person out of the picture. It is fear that there's going to be further damage done to the reputation of the brand, not realizing that that very action is probably what is going to damage the brand anyway. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. part of what Amazon did very wrong here is the speed in which they communicated. They were so busy dealing with the um, increase in demand for products being shipped out everywhere. I have a terrible feeling that they completely forgot to communicate with their employees in terms of what the organization was doing to keep safe and keep them safe. So mm -hmm. I think you've got probably need to see, uh, realize that there was an issue with speed in communicating, an uh, issue with uh, clarity in communicating. And if no one expects an organization to have all the answers at the start of a crisis. But if you have an ongoing conversation with your employees and you keep telling them what the organization is doing, how it's being prepared, how it's basically creating a safer workplace, that particular conversation will stem a lot of misinformation. Yeah. Which yeah. then results in pretty much people banding together and voicing yeah. their opinions against the company. And I think I think it's interesting as well to see how different organizations have re react uh, when their people go public, right? Um, so what we saw um, in the, the Washington hospital in Amazon, the reaction was perhaps fear-based where they just went and fired the people. And then we see others where, um, so again, I was talking about the hospitals in the UK. Some of these NHS trusts, um, um, quite a number of their employees, doctors and nurses, go on mainstream me media. They appear in the, new the news and they talk about their fears. 
and um, nothing happens to them. And 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 from a from a employment point of view, and and that's very encouraging because people feel. I'm being heard. My voice is being heard, and I'm not being retaliated against. And there are other hospitals that are actually have warned their people: don't go public with this. We do not allow you to appear on the news. You can't say anything on social media. Um, so, the the difference between the two, but a lot of them are coming from a point of view of health and safety, uh, because this is about saving lives, right? Exactly. I think when it comes to um, the hospitals, as what you've said in the NHS, it really is a question as to who is heading the hospital and what that person's policies are. And if a leader in that particular organization feels that having their um, medical professionals voice their concerns in public will actually bring attention from government, that could actually be a strategy that the, the leaders have actually looked into in calling that particular risk communications. Because, I mean, it's like it's not normal to actually allow your employees to just go on air and go public and talk against a company with no repercussions. That is generally not how most organizations will work. So the very fact that they're being given quite a, a long uh, leash, I'd say, to talk to media, mm -hmm. I think it goes way beyond just um, organizations being open about their policies. I think it's about organizations trying to get to pub, uh, to the um, public office yeah. attention as to the yes. lack of issues. Yes, yes, that, that, that's what I'm seeing because the hospitals are crying out for help. Um, in the UK, and that that's a way to do it. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. So, yeah. so in that sense, they're aligned. The employees and the the organisations are aligned in speaking absolutely. up. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, that's and it comes across incredibly powerful. Um, and uh, I mean, I I feel quite heartened seeing that because I think across the world over, we you know in 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 the UK, uh, every Thursday night we clap for the NHS to give them a sense of you know what we. We are applauding you, acknowledging you, we're hearing you and recognizing the amazing sacrifices you're making for the, for the safety of people. Um, and the same thing is New York, I think, is every night. Um, they are making noise um, at a certain time because we can see that New York is it's absolutely scary what's going on there. Um, and I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure now, now we see that. And it's interesting um, that I see that in many countries, the public are leading what they expect from the governments. Some governments have been slow to shut down, uh, lockdown, and have only done so upon pressure of the people, um, exactly. which is unusual. Normally, it's the other way around, right? Yeah. Well, um, times are unusual. Yeah. <laughs> it is, yeah, yeah. So I'd like to just, you know, Janita, end with um, asking you, you know, Who's doing, or rather, you know, what is the right way for companies to be operating at this time in terms of uh, dealing with it constructively? Um, do you have examples? I think there are a lot of um, small companies that are doing exceptional work in terms of creativity and um, just engagement. And even, you know, you've got the luxury brands that have pretty much reimagined their brand by um, what um, 
re reorganizing their resources and um, you know making making their factories produce PPEs and hand and hand sanitizers and face masks. And these are the companies, the companies that are basically putting public and safety and health above profit are the ones who are probably going to see new followers, new brand loyalty. Um, it's going to be really exciting once all of this goes away to see the revival of some amazing brands. And um, we're probably going to see the death of several brands as well who have not yes. been able to communicate, who have kept silent, who have continued to do business the way they always did. Um, there is going to be a, a new way of doing business and the companies that realize that sooner are going to come out of this better. So I don't want yes. to pinpoint any yeah. specific company, but yeah, there are companies that are, are pretty much um, restructuring and, and uh, realigning and, you know, we have people who are basically being, um, uh, what I think in, in, I have to mention SQ, for example, Singapore Airlines, where they are, instead of just having their uh, stewardesses and stewards go on leave, they are being retrained as personal care ambassadors in hospitals to do um, general hospital work. So that is that's that fantastic. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that's fantastic. So they are keeping the staff, uh, remobilizing them for, for for something different. So that exactly. that's thinking out of the box, but in a very um, uh, in a way that recognizes where the needs are today. Exactly. Right? And it allows yeah. the employee to feel valued. And they feel they feel that they're contributing as well, right? There's that sense of purpose. I'm giving back to society. So there's something very, very uplifting in that. And you're giving back to society with the blessings of your organization. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's wonderful. Thank, thanks for sharing that. Mm -hmm. So, Janita, we can, I think we can chat for ages and we're probably going to do this after this call as well. And that's precisely what we did. It was just after this recording and we did have a chat and I asked Janita, after I realized with horror that I hadn't asked her this question, what would you do um, in terms of advising an organization how to communicate during a crisis like a pandemic such as this? And this is what Janita told me. When you're communicating in a crisis, remember this word, fates, F-A-T-E-S. Now, the fates are actually three mythical Greek goddesses, each controlling past, present, and future. And we are now in the presence of a terrible pandemic. And how you communicate will determine the future of your business. What does it stand for? Well, F. Frequency, over-communicating is your best policy right now, especially with your employees. A, adaptively, find the flexibility to be able to change your narrative and change your channel mix depending on where you are with a crisis such as COVID-19. T, truthfully, try to be as transparent as you can about the state of your business. E, empathically, be humble, be human, be sensitive to what people are going through. If your spokesperson tends to be brash and arrogant, find someone who inspires calm and confidence. S, speedily. Always remember, if there is a vacuum in your communications, it will be filled with speculation.
Now, layer this idea of fates over a strong business continuity strategy and a creative marketing plan, and you will create confidence, which then leads hope for your business to survive this crisis. Junita, wow, you are indeed the calm voice so needed as organizations navigate this COVID storm. Thank you so much for being with us today and sharing your wisdom. You've been listening to Janita Sukumaran, founder of Rantau Golin, a PR agency in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. If you want to learn more about crisis communications and the issues that Janita has raised, I've included her contact details with the audio on this site. Thank you so much for listening and joining us in our very first Speak Up at Work podcast here today. Goodbye. From the time we were born, we spoke. That first cry where we took our first breath, I'm alive, we said, look at me, I am here. Babies are brilliant at speaking up, so too are dogs and birds. Whether you are hungry, angry, or wanting to express sheer joy through gurgles or song, you are speaking up, expressing how you feel and what you want. Then came language. You weren't just expressing a feeling, but giving it shape so that you can communicate with more definition. Instead of, ah, upon seeing the sky, you could tell others what you saw, blue, bright, beautiful, or dark, moody, scary. Words and language allow us detail, yet at the same time, it constrains us. In the business world today, we focus on what is said, but ignore what is not said, or the energy behind the words uttered. Whether words thank you truly meant or were they sarcastic, said with contempt. In speaking up, we consider words, the silences, tone and the context in which they are delivered. What are the relationships at play? What is the culture in which the same words can be seen as factual or simply rude? The law and evidential rules, a cornerstone of organizational processes, don't quite capture all that surrounds the spoken word. And this is where breakdowns occur. We miss the big picture. Imagine watching a play or a movie. You see beyond the lines that an actor delivers. You see her hesitation, the way she sniffles, stifles a cough. You see her speak slowly and unsure, indicating that she is uncomfortable or speak with such force that you know she means what she says. You see her speak the same line. I'd like you to stop right now to a group of young children and think, what a good mother. Or, I'd like you to stop right now to a group of men in a meeting and think, how bossy. It isn't just what we say, it's how we say it. It's who we are when we speak, a parent, an intern, or a CEO. And to who we speak to, our parent an intern or a CEO, and what pressures we face when we speak. It's urgent or it's after work drinks. When we speak, what impact do we have on another? Are we encouraging or are we adding further stress? Are we incoherent, which causes confusion, or speaking with clarity so our colleagues are clear on the next steps? Do we pay attention to how we are received when we speak? What about when we are listening? Someone tells us something we don't like and we go into defensive mode. Or are we curious and open? Tell me more. What about witnessing an altercation or toxicity? What do we do now? How does it make us feel? 
Can we make things better? Should we even bother? As a leader, you most certainly should. These are the questions, observations and reflections in which we will be observing in the next six months. Speak up in three acts, explores three actions we do all the time. How we speak, how we listen, and how we create safety, safe space for ourselves and those around us.